0: Chapter seven of In the Mayor's Parlour by j s Fletcher. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The voluntary witness. Everybody present, not excluding Brent, knew the man at whom the superintendent of police was staring, and who evidently wished to address the coroner. He was Mr. Samuel John Epplewhite, an elderly, highly respectable tradesman of the town, and closely associated with that forward party in the town council, of which the late mayor had become the acknowledged leader, a man of substance and repute who would not break in without serious reason upon proceedings of the sort then going on. The coroner, following Hawthwaite's glance, nodded to him. "'You wish to make some observation, Mr. Epplewhite?' he inquired. ''Before you adjourn, sir, if you please,'' replied Epplewhite, ''I should like to make a statement. Evidence, in fact, sir. I think, after what we've heard, that it's highly necessary that I should.'' ''Certainly,'' answered the coroner. ''Anything you can tell, of course. Then, perhaps you'll step into the witness-box?'' The folk who crowded the court to its very doors looked on impatiently while Epplewhite went through the legal formalities. Laying down the testament on which he had taken the oath, he turned to the coroner. But the coroner again nodded to him. "'You had better tell us what is in your mind in your own way, Mr. Epplewhite,' he said. "'We are, of course, in utter ignorance of what it is you can tell. Put it in your own fashion.' Epplewhite folded his hands on the ledge of the witness-box and looked around the court before finally settling his eyes on the coroner. It seemed to Brent as if he were carefully considering the composition, severally and collectively, of his audience. "'Well, sir,' he began, in slow, measured accents, "'what I have to say, as briefly as I can, is this. Everybody here, I believe, is aware that our late mayor and myself were on particularly friendly terms. We'd always been more or less of friends since his first coming to the town. We'd similar tastes and interests.' but our friendship had been on an even more intimate basis during the last year or two and especially of recent months owing no doubt to the fact that we belonged to the same party on the town council and were both equally anxious to bring about a thorough reform in municipal administration of the borough when mr wallingford was elected mayor last november he and i and our supporters on the council resolved that during his year of office we would do our best to sweep away certain crying abuses and generally get the affairs of hathelsborough placed on a more modern and a better footing we were all the coroner held up his hand let us have a clear understanding he said i am gathering officially of course from what you are saying that in hathelsborough town council there are two parties opposed to each other a party pledged to reform and another that is opposed to reform is that so mr epplewhite precisely so answered the witness and of the reform party the late mayor was the leader this is well known in the town it's a matter of common gossip it is also well known to members of the town council that mr wallingford's proposals for reform were of a very serious and drastic nature that we of his party were going to support them through thick and thin and that they were bitterly opposed by the other party whose members were resolved to fight them tooth and nail it may be as well to know what these abuses were which you propose to perform suggested the coroner i want to get a thorough clearing up of everything well responded the witness with another glance around the court the late mayor had a rooted and particular objection to the system of payments and pensions in force at present which without doubt owes its existence to favouritism and jobbery. There are numerous people in the town drawing money from the borough funds who have no right to it on any ground whatever. There are others who draw salaries for what are really sinecures. A great deal of the ratepayers' money has gone in this way. Men in high places in the corporation have used their power to benefit relations and favourites. I question if there's another town in the country in which such a state of things would be permitted. But there is a more serious matter than that, one which Mr. Wallingford was absolutely determined, with the help of his party, and backed by public opinion if he could win it over. No easy thing, for we have had centuries of usage and tradition against us, to bring to an end.' That is the fact that the financial affairs of this town are entirely controlled by what is virtually a self-constituted body called the town trustees. They are three in number. If one dies, the surviving two select his successor. Needless to say, they took good care that they choose a man who is in thorough sympathy with their own ideas. Now, the late mayor was convinced that this system led to nothing but, well, to put it mildly, To nothing but highly undesirable results, and he claimed that the corporation had the right to deprive the existing town trustees of their power, and to take into its own hands the full administration of the borough finances. And, of course, there was much bitter animosity aroused by this proposal, because the town trustees have had a free hand and done what they liked with the town's money for a couple of centuries. The coroner, who was making elaborate notes, lifted his pen. "'Who are the town trustees at present, Mr. Epplewhite?' he inquired. Epplewhite smiled, as a man might smile who knows that a question is only asked as a mere formality. "'The town trustees at present, sir,' he answered quietly, are Mr. Alderman Crude, deputy mayor, Mr. Councillor Mallett, borough auditor, and Mr. Councillor Coppinger, borough treasurer amidst a curious silence broken only by the scratching of the coroner's pen alderman crood rose heavily in his place amongst the spectators mr coroner he said with some show of injured feeling i object sir to my name being mentioned in connection with this here matter you're inquiring sir i'm inquiring mr crood into the circumstances surrounding the death of john wallingford said the coroner If you can throw any light on them, I shall be glad to take your evidence. At present, I am taking the evidence of another witness. Yes, Mr. Applewhite? Well, sir, I come to recent events, continued Applewhite, smiling grimly as the deputy mayor, flushed and indignant, resumed his seat. The late mayor was very well aware that his proposals were regarded not merely with great dislike, but with positive enmity he and those of us who agreed with him were constantly asked in the council chamber what right we had to be endeavouring to interfere with a system that had suited our fathers and grandfathers we were warned too in the council chamber that we should get ourselves into trouble do you refer to actual threats asked the coroner scarcely that sir hints and so on replied the witness But of late, in the case of the late mayor, actual threats have been used, and to bring my evidence to a point, Mr. Coroner, I now wish to make a certain statement on my oath and to produce a certain piece of evidence to show that Mr. Wallingford's personal safety was threatened only a few days before his murder. Thus saying, Epplewhite thrust a hand into the inner pocket of his coat, and producing a letter, held it out at arm's length so that every one could see it so holding it he turned to the coroner it is just a week ago sir he proceeded that mr wallingford came to supper at my house after supper he and i being alone began talking about the subject which was uppermost in our minds municipal reform that day i had had considerable talk with two or three fellow members of the council who belonged to the opposite party and as a result I showed to Wallingford that opposition to our plans was growing more concentrated, determined, and bitter. He laughed a little satirically. "'It's gone beyond even that stage with me, personally, Epplewhite,' he said. "'Don't you ever be surprised, my friend, if you hear of my being found with a bullet through my head or a knife between my ribs.' "'What do you mean?' said I. "'Nonsense.' He laughed again, and pulled out this envelope. All right, he answered, you read that. I read what was in the envelope, sir, and now I pass it to you. The coroner silently took the letter which was passed across to him from the witness, withdrew a sheet of paper from it, and read the contents with an inscrutable face and amidst a dead silence. It seemed a long time before he turned to the jury. Then he held up the sheet of paper and the envelope which had contained it. Gentlemen, he said, I shall have to draw your particular attention to this matter. This is an anonymous letter. From the date on the postmark, it was received by the late Mayor about a week before he showed it to Mr. Epplewhite. It is a typewritten communication. The address on the envelope is typewritten, the letter itself is typewritten. I will now read the letter to you. It is as follows. Mr. Mayor You are a young man in an old town, but you are old enough and sharp enough to take a hint. Take one now and mind your own business. What business is it of yours to interfere with good old customs in a place which you don't belong and where you're still a comparative stranger? You only got elected to the mayoral chair by one vote, and if you are fool enough to think that you and those behind you are strong enough to upset things, you'll find yourself wrong. For you won't be allowed. There's something a good deal stronger in this town than what you and them are, and that you'll see proved, or happen you won't see it, for if you go on as you are doing, putting your nose in where you've no right, you'll be made so that you'll never see nor hear again. Things is not going to be upset here for want of putting upsetters out of the way. There's been better men than you quietly sided for less. So, take a quiet warning, leave things alone. It would become you a deal better if you'd be a bit more hospitable to the council, and give them a glass of decent wine, instead of the teetotal stuff you disgraced the table with when you gave your mayoral banquet, first time any mayor of this good old borough ever did such a thing. There's them that's had quite enough of such goings-on, and doesn't mind how soon you're shifted so mend your ways before somebody makes them, as they'll never need mending any more. Now, gentlemen, continued the coroner, as he laid down the letter, there are one or two things about that communication to which I wish to draw your attention. First of all, it is the composition of a vulgar and illiterate, or at any rate, semi-illiterate person. I don't think its phrasing and illiteracy are affected, I think it has been written in its present colloquial form without art or design by whoever wrote it. It is written, phrased, expressed precisely as a vulgar coarse sort of person would speak. That is the first point. The second is, it is typewritten. Now in these days there are a great many typewriting machines in use in the town. Small as the town is, we know there are a great many in offices, shops, institutions, banks, even private houses. It is not at all likely that the sender of this letter would employ a professional typist to write it, not even a clerk, nor any employee. Therefore, he typed it himself. I will invite your attention to the letter, which I now hand to you, and then I will place it in the custody of the police, who will, of course, use their best endeavours to trace it. He passed the letter over to the foreman of the jury and turned to the witness-box. "'I conclude, Mr. Epplewhite, that the late mayor left that letter in your possession?' he asked. "'He did, sir,' replied Epplewhite. He said, half-jokingly, "'You can keep that, Epplewhite. If they sacrifice me on the altar of vested interests, it'll be a bit of evidence.' So I locked up the letter in my safe there and then, and it has remained there until this morning.' "'You, of course, have no idea as to the identity of the sender?' "'None, sir.' "'Had Mr. Wallingford?' "'Neither of us, sir, formed any conclusion, but we both thought that the letter emanated from some member of the opposition.' "'Did Mr. Wallingford take it as a serious threat?' Epplewhite looked doubtful. "'I scarcely know,' he said. "'He seemed half-minded about it. "'To regard it, you know, as half a joke and half serious.' but I feel certain that he knew he had enemies who might become, well, deadly. That's my distinct impression, Mr. Coroner. The typewritten letter went its round of the jury, and presently came back to the coroner. He replaced it in its envelope and handed the envelope to Hawthwaite. You must leave no stone unturned in your effort to trace that letter to its source, he said. That's of the highest importance. And now I think we had better adjourn for— but Tansley rose from his seat, at Brent's elbow. I should like to draw attention to a somewhat pertinent fact, Mr. Coroner, he said. It seems to have a distinct bearing on what has just transpired. During a search of the deceased's private papers, made by Mr. Brent and myself yesterday afternoon, we found Mr. Wallingford's will. It was drawn up by himself, in very concise terms, and duly executed only a few days before his death. "'It suggests itself to me that he was impelled to this by the threat which is distinctly made in the letter you have just read.' "'I think we may take it that the late mayor felt that he was in some personal danger,' answered the coroner. "'What you say, Mr. Dansley, appears to corroborate that.' Then, with a few words of counsel to the jury, he adjourned the inquest for ten days, and presently the folk who had listened to the proceedings streamed out into the market-place excited and voluble instead of going away the greater number of those who had been present lingered around the entrance and brent leaving in tansley's company a few minutes later found high words being spoken between alderman crood and epplewhite who prominent on the pavement were haranguing each other amidst a ring of open-mouthed bystanders you were at that game all through what you called your evidence vociferated alderman crood who was obviously excited and angry far beyond his wont nice evidence indeed nought is it but trying to fasten blame onto innocent folk suggesting sneered mallet close on his leader's right elbow insinuating hinting at things said coppinger close on the left implying dirty work shouted alderman "'Such as nobody but the likes of you, radicals and teetotalists and chapel-folk, ud ever think of doing. "'You say straight out before the town what's in your mind, Sam Epplewhite, "'and I'll see what the law has to say to you. "'I'm none going to have my character taken away by a fellow o' your sort. "'Say your say here in public?' "'I'll say my say at the right time and place, Alderman Crude,' retorted Epplewhite, "'This thing's going through.' "'We'll find out who murdered John Wallingford yet. "'There's no need to go far away to find the murderer.' "'Crood's big face grew livid with anger, "'and his long upper lip began to quiver. "'He raised his hand as if to command the attention of the crowd, "'but just then Hawthwaite and a couple of policemen "'appeared at the open doorway behind, "'and Mallet and Coppinger, nudging the big man from either side, "'led him away along the marketplace.' and suddenly from amongst the dispersing crowd distinct murmurs of disapproval and dislike arose crystallized in a sharp cry from some man on its outer edge down with the town trustees they're at the bottom of this down with them! the town trustees retreated before a suddenly awakened chorus of hooting they disappeared into mallet's private door at the bank brent watching and listening with speculative curiosity felt Tansley touch his arm. He turned to find the solicitor shaking his head, and with a grave countenance. "'Bad, bad,' muttered Tansley. "'Very bad. Once get public opinion set on like that and—' "'And what?' demanded Brent. He was already so convinced that his cousin had fallen a victim to political hatred that he was rather welcoming the revengeful outburst of feeling. "'What now?' there'll be an end of all sensible and practical proceedings in connection with the affair answered tansley there's a big following of the reform party in the town amongst the working folk and if they once get it into their heads that the conservative lot put your cousin away well there'll be hell to pay personally said brent with a hardening of his square jaw i don't care if there is if we can only put our hands on the murderers I don't care if the people hang him to those lamp-posts. I shouldn't be sorry to see a little lynch law. Then we shall never get at the truth, retorted Tansley. We may-only may, mind you-have got a bit towards it this morning, but not far, if at all, perhaps. That threatening letter suggested Brent. I attach very little importance to it, said Tansley, though I wasn't going to say so much in court. In my experience in this town if i've seen one anonymous letter i've seen a hundred hathelsborough folk are given to that sort of thing no sir there's a tremendous lot to come out yet don't you be surprised if all sorts of extraordinary developments materialize perhaps when you're least expecting em brent made no answer he was not easily surprised and from the moment of his discovery of the crime he had realised that this was a mystery in the unravelling of which time and trouble would have to be expended freely but he had a moment of genuine surprise that evening when as he sat in his private sitting-room at the chancellor he received a note written in a delicate feminine hand on crested and scented paper wherein he was requested in somewhat guarded and mysterious fashion to step round to the private residence of Mrs. Saumarez. End of chapter seven.